special edition of Gillen Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Um, I, as ever, am Roscoe Harold Vacant. I'm joined by my dear friend and co-host, Gil Ian Rokotansky. How are you, Gil? I'm not too bad, thanks, Ross. How are you, you uh, rock punk maniac? I'm very good, I'm very good. I'm enjoying this... uh, it's kind of the, 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 the windows of the internet here with the, the Skype, because it means that I don't need to sit next to, to Gil on the couch. I, I don't have to uh, eat pizza. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do eat a lot of pizza we when, do. when we are together, and we drink a lot of wine inside. The... But most importantly, we are joined by uh, the wonderful cult horror actor. Um, what does cult mean? Uh, does it... That means of uh, of limited appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's the best description I've ever heard. Sorry. No, I'm pretty yeah, sure I like looked it up and uh, that was Mark, the definition. Mark, Mark Twain said that a classic is a book everybody praises and nobody reads. Exactly. So there we go. So we are joined. It's a very special uh, privilege to be joined this week by Daytime Emmy Award winning actor. And the star of Abraham Lincoln vs. Zombies, Excision, and various other uh, great movies, Bill Oberst Jr. Welcome, Bill. Hey, guys. Hey, Bill. I loved, I loved you in Excision. I thought it was great the way you took on the appearance of a teenage girl. Hey, I thought you were, you were really hot. Yeah, I was, really... I, 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 well, I was conflicted. My, my breasts are actually bigger than one of them. I, felt really, I always feel really sorry when it's uh, two girls and one of them has really big and the other is like, you know. Okay, yeah. one of the girls is uh, in Modern Family as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I. I thought it was really nice to see somebody from like a a really well known kind of sitcom in a a film like Excision because I I just I just totally loved it and I thought it maybe said something about her as an actor as well that. If she wanted to do a film like that, that maybe she is a lot more interesting than just what most people know her from. I think most actresses are more interesting than they seem to be. You know, I mean, you know what it's yeah. like. Like, if you date, all right, if you date a porn star, it's going to be really boring sexually. Yeah, that yeah. sounds rubbish. It does. It sounds really <laughs> Because rubbish. that's what they do for a living. And yeah, it's just, sure. you're like a glamorous actress. She does eroticism for a living. So yeah. you ain't getting nothing. But <laughs> if you date somebody who's on a sitcom or even better, like a news anchor. Oh, oh yeah. I I, uh, I wouldn't name any names, but there is a, a Scottish news anchor woman who most people in Scotland would know. Catriona Shearer? No, it's not. <laughs> or, uh, one one okay. from the past that, All right, okay. that I used to occasionally see 
out and uh-huh. about, and she uh-huh. would have a man on each arm, uh-huh. and yeah. and basically just walking with this kind of sexual strut <laughs> that was yeah. never there when she read the news. Yeah. Yeah, because it's all buried. Yeah. Like like nurses. Oh. You know, nurses have to keep everything repressed. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I uh I did once date a nurse. This has kind of become the bo- <laughs> this has become some kind of are we? <laughs> it's man bloke. talk. This is bloke cast you're listening to. Um so <laughs> I was just thinking we've never actually had a female guest on. So Bill, if you want to do the remainder of the interview in a high pitched voice <laughs> <laughs> You possible. need a female guest. <laughs> we I, definitely do. We definitely do. I know lots of women in Hollywood who would who would do all sorts of things to be on your show. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'll absolutely. You can just uh, tell them to ask us, and we'll say yes. I'm all right. We sure will. Um, I'm just a gill who can't say no. Yeah. <laughs> You're the gill of my dreams. Yeah. Do you know... <laughs> Did you guys see that thing that came out, I think, yesterday? It was a newscaster, just when we are on the subject of newscasters, who, it was his first day on the job, <laughs> and he just randomly said, gay, fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> just, he just, just, on the air? Time. Yeah. Just, like, the first thing that came out of his mouth <laughs> was oh, gay, nice. fucking shit. Um, and so but he is reading the news at the time. Well, he's not reading the news. It wasn't that wasn't like the story. He's yeah. standing at. The, it's one of these new fashionable news shows where they stand up because that makes you look cool. Because you know you don't want your news delivered to you by somebody that's stoic and sitting down and delivering horrible news to you in a serious way. You want them to stand up and look chirpy. At a plexiglass <laughs> desk. Yeah, but he he didn't know that they'd uh, the cameras had cut to them, and he's just standing looking at the stories that he's about to read, and just yeah. was gay fucking shit. Well, so supposedly he was trying to pronounce the the runner that was that won the London Marathon. I think it was Teske was the guy's name, <laughs> and he was trying to pronounce it, and it made him look like a total homophobic asshole. But in actual fact. He's just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, is, that's the problem. Just better. With saying anything in front of a camera these days. But now there's cameras everywhere. You know, everybody could probably have three seconds of their life put on YouTube that they would be berated and mocked about for eternity. Yep. Okay, right, right here in Hollywood, I live like Caddy Corner to the Church of Scientology. They're big. Oh God! A uh-huh. big sort of celebrity center. Sure. And there's ca- there's cameras all the way down the street on both sides because I walk to the gym every single day and I walk past them. Mm-hmm. And you'd think nobody is watching, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, so my sister's visiting and uh, last week, and so she says, "I want to I want to stand next to the sign and touch the Scientology sign, and get a picture." I said, "Patsy, don't do it because they're watching." She said, "Oh, don't be crazy. There, those cameras aren't working." She put her foot on the property, just her foot, boom, bicycle cop immediately there. Hi, can I help you? Really? Wow. Yeah, and I thought, well, we're being watched. We're all being watched. Yeah. yeah. But I think that we're maybe all just being watched by them. <laughs> you know, yeah. How shit would it be if it turned out they are the religion that's right? <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's quite an outside possibility, <laughs> to be honest. It is. Uh-huh. But I, I like the fact that they haven't exploited the Scientology thing to make a really good sci-fi series. All the no, they haven't. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. yeah. You know, you... Dog that farted out the universe. Actually, yeah. there's a, there is a, a new sci-fi series that's just started. I can't remember what it's called, but it's up to episode two. And it, it's, it's a little bit odd. It's got like nine different races that you're supposed to kind of already know a little bit about, even though it's not from a book or anything, but it is being launched in conjunction with a game as well. Ah, there you go. It just seems really cynical. Yeah. Defiance, so, that's what it's called. So, um, maybe uh, interesting to to start off by uh, thinking about what movies we've seen this week. I don't know if, Bill, if you've, have you managed to watch anything this week? And uh, have you watched any of your own movies in preparation for this, <laughs> this, this yeah, esteemed, no, esteemed I, event? I don't need to do that. No, I actually, I did... Uh, ADR this morning, uh, Dialogue recording some looping on a film called Ditch, which is a horror right. film where I play an axe murderer. Nice. And it's uh, it's nice, man. I mean, they've got they've got ass, they've got tits. <laughs> the blood looks really, really good. And um, I beat this guy's head in with a hammer. And I had 30 strokes when we shot it. It was like, bam, 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 bam. And they kept 19 of them in, and they put in this squishy effect. Oh, man. Nice. It really, it really looks like I'm, like his head is just being turned into meatloaf. So that was nice. I saw the new Evil Dead this week, and I really loved it. I still haven't uh, seen that yet. Ross, has do you know? Seen it, but I have. Do you know, Bill? You and I, I think we're in a minority. To be honest, I don't think uh, it's it's yeah. not received the, it's not received great reviews from from people we know, um, people that are kind of in the the horror community kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I th- I thought it was great fun. I mean, you look at the original Evil Dead, and it's it's great. But I mean, it's not perfect. And this, I felt it was really really well done. It did did its job. I mean, maybe the dialogue was a bit a bit off at times, and certainly the the story at times didn't make much sense. Why is there an eighteen year old nurse on site? Why would they decide that a place filled with dead cats would be the best place to? Get your friend to convalesce. Spoilers. They always, they always do that shit. <laughs> yeah, They're always, yeah. Uh-huh. They always do this in horror movies. Yeah. But maybe that's intentional to a certain point as well, because these days, when you see that happening, you go, oh, yeah, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And it's, it's just like preparing you for... It's giving you something to look forward to in a way. Yep. But, so, Bill, no, why, why do they have to... Why do I have to be prepared? Why can't I have a new idea? Yeah. Something I've never yeah. fucking seen before. Exactly. Why can't I have something new? Exactly. See, the, the, the last interview that I heard from yourself was with uh, Corey, uh, Midnight Corey, and you were you made reference to why work on a remake when you could have you could work with somebody who some some kid who's gonna come up with the idea the new nightmare in Elm Street, basically, who's going to come yeah. up with an, an idea of that kind of magnitude, and I, exactly. I really like that. So yeah, because that was a new idea at one time. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking now to see if anybody's made a horror film about an avenging Mary Queen of Scots, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't find one. So there is there's there's a place to go. And that's it. That that would probably be 
really, really high grossing in Scotland and like kicking ass. Else. I mean, you know, she's kicking ass. Yep. A ninja, ninja queen of Scots. Because we watched a ninja film last week, and since watching Ninja Terminator, I I really want to see a good ninja film because it was awful. Last week was Ninja and Cyborg week. So <laughs> I wonder if there's a movie called Ninja versus Cyborg. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> there, there probably will be. Surely. Or at least a YouTube clip. Yeah, there's there's like 20 YouTube things. Yeah, the thing uh, we... computer generated. Somebody should make a movie. That's a good title. Don't ninjas fight RoboCop in one of the the films? I think it's uh RoboCop Three, maybe no, uh, Robocop two. I think the one with Kane. I yeah, I think there's ninjas in that. So ninjas versus cyborg. Yeah, we we can yeah, do that. Yeah, next I'm week. looking at it right. Now. Yeah, ninja <laughs> versus. I th- I like a movie because I'm kind of lowbrow. I like a movie that tells you exactly what it is. <laughs> yes. Like a movie called uh, Redemption. I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> But if it's Abraham Lincoln versus zombies, if it's new exactly. guns with big guns, I know what it is. Yeah. Transformers. Oh, that, that's an exception to the rule now, isn't it? Unless you're watching the cartoon one from the 80s. I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Transmorphers. I didn't like Transmorphers, I'm afraid. I think I that Transmorphers kind of partially coloured me against <laughs> Asylum films. And the thing is, this week I've now watched two Asylum films that I enjoyed. But neither of them are the Mockbusters ones, really. Well, I suppose Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies is, but it just it doesn't feel like that to me, because I like to think that somebody had that script sitting in a drawer that nobody was interested in, <laughs> and then when the Vampire Slayer one got announced, he went, "Oh, I know where I can sell this." <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you that that script had such cool shit in it that we couldn't afford to do because the budget was low. Yeah, yeah. It had a Gatling gun in it. Oh, awesome. I love that. Like, so the Gatling gun had just been invented, and Dr. Gatling hears about this, and he's old and decrepit, but he sends a messenger down to Lincoln and says, I don't know if this gun will work, but I have one prototype, and I'm sending it to you. So then in the middle of the movie in the script, Lincoln mans the Gatling gun, and he's shooting down fucking... Thousands of zombies in the middle of the streets of Savannah and (laughs) flaming hay wagons are rolling by with zombies on fire. I mean, just great stuff. And what that turned into us doing was going out with farm implements to fight the zombies. Yeah. But that's still, I I don't know, because we we will talk about that film later on, but I I did still like a lot of the the low-keyness of it. But I bet that somewhere in that fort that you filmed, there was a Gatling gun that had to be hidden. (laughs) <laughs> Probably. Yeah. If we'd have a million dollars, let Bill see that. He'll go. Why can't we just do it? That's what I'm saying, or a cannon, or something. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what was the what was the budget on that one? Uh, one fifty. One fifty. Wow, that's really good. Jingle that's, bells. Yeah, but you got a, a lot of that is in post because you know none of the zombie effects were practical. All their heads were chopped off in post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you can see like sometimes because it it's like a lower budget film. You can see the bits where it's like somebody is acting, and the thing is being put in later on in like a green screen. 
Yeah, and the blood sprays. Blood spray never looks right. On, uh, yeah, that's. But I I thought that it would have looked better if instead of them doing that blood spray and trying to have it look realistic, see if they if they'd made it more blood, then it would have been kind of cartoony. Yeah, that would have. I think that would have worked really well because. It... Yeah, so so we'll probably we'll come back to discussing yeah. this probably later. So it's maybe, um, Bill, you were telling us what you thought of Evil Dead before we kind of went off on a random tangent. Um, maybe worth. What were your thoughts liked, on it? I liked it. Um, like you, you know, because you know the story, your expect your expectations are, can they do as good a job as the original one? Well, no, they never can because back then it was something new and you didn't know what was going to happen. Sure. But um, I thought it was very respectable. The effects were good, and it was a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely. Now they had actually they said that there was no CGI. There is it. CGI in it. I think I think there's there seems to be some, but it's it's actually minimal. It seems very minimal. Um, I think fi- fire and blood were the only things that I really noticed. Um, I I can't see there being much more than that. I, I, for the most part, it looked looked like mostly practical effects. I don't know what you're. Your view on that was? Yeah, uh, the fire didn't strike me as CGI, but it might have been. I know it's yeah, hard, yeah. To, hard to do fire on set and hardly well, anybody. That's the that's, that's thing, absolutely. What are you going to do? Set her on fire? <laughs> set someone on fire? Oh, see, now Ross is going, oh, damn it, I'm spoiling bits for girl. A girl gets set on fire. I don't, I don't actually care if anybody really spoils the film for me because I used to, like, back, because I'm dead old... <laughs> Back in the nineties, I used to go and buy the graphic novel of the film because it would come out about a month or two before the film. Read the graphic novel and then go into the film, going right. Can they make this as good as the comic? Well, yeah, kind of. Of course they can because it's the same thing. But spoilers don't really bother me as, yeah. as much. Okay, to be so honest. that's cool, man. That's that's cool. Um, you were aware. Uh, anyway, that's that's. That's cool. Well, um, I, I did. I was going to say I saw Lords of Salem. Yeah, I was going to ask you what films you managed to watch. Yeah. What did you like? What did you think? I haven't seen it. I, Lords of Salem. I really, I just didn't like it. No. I don't know because uh, I know that Ross hasn't watched the uh, Ronald D. Moore version of Battlestar Galactica. But did you ever catch that? Like the, no. It was it was really good, and it had uh, these. Uh, kind of dream sequences that were cutaways and you were never entirely sure what was going on but they would take place in an opera house and that happens a lot in Lords of Salem and in the opera house in Battlestar Galactica there's people that you can't see the faces of you've got the same in Lords of Salem and uh, this might be a bit of a spoiler but Basically, he just really likes Battlestar Galactica and Rosemary's Baby, and that's yeah. it. And that just really, really annoyed me. And also, I, I didn't really buy Sherry Moon Zombie as a, a lead character, to be honest. I, I, I didn't feel like she... Either her performance or the writing something just didn't carry that character and movie for me. You just didn't really buy it. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I thought it have you, was have you seen that? Have you seen that one yet, Bill? Or? No, uh, I'm, I want to. I know a couple of guys who are in. I know like four people in it. 
I'm looking sure. at it right now on IMBD. It's got like a 5.7 rating. It's got, sure. it's got really good cameos in it. Like there's yeah. uh, there's three witch type characters. Uh, D Wallace is one of them. Isn't D Wallace is one of them, and uh, oh, what's the name of the lady from the girl uh, from Project Project Shadow Chasers in it, isn't, isn't she? Yeah. Or the guy, and the guy from Eliminators. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of really nice cameos that you'll look at and go, oh wow, they're in this. Um, but it just Michael Berryman, Sid Haig is in it. Yeah, yep. Sid Haig. Do you know Sid Haig? I... Um, well, I just signed with the agent who represents Danny Trejo. Oh, wow. And Sid Haig. And um, so she told me, she said, you know, if you had been with me when we were doing Lords of Salem, I would have got you in. Aye. But I just signed with her. But next time, because she's, she's, she's a bigger agent than I've had before, and she's hooked yeah, up absolutely. with absolutely. I actually uh, stayed awake really late to watch Lords of Salem and then uh, missed out on a hell of a lot of sleep. Because I, had, I then had to go and fix a boat today. How weird does that sound? Imagine me fixing a boat. Is that what you do? Are you like a boat fixer? No, I just uh, I don't. I'm not even really all that keen on sailing these days. But I do have a level three worldwide sailing certificate. And today wow. I went and fixed a bit of a boat, but I was quite tired because I'd I'd sat up quite late to watch Lords of Salem. There was a role in Lords of Salem for, uh, what did they want? They wanted uh, Caucasian, uh, emaciated, uh, physically bizarre, like everything Uh, that I am, everything that I am. And I I didn't get called in for it. And I was like, what the hell? So I got to see this movie and see who these people are that they thought were weirder than me. I can't (laughs) even think who that character in the film is, to be honest. It's... I don't know. I, I I think maybe I need to watch it again as well because the first time that I was watching it, I I really was just thinking Rosemary's Baby all yeah. the way through. I've got a kind of with Rob Zombie. I've always think you've got this kind of love hate thing happening with Rob Zombie stuff. Um, I think it's always visually striking and it's always interesting. It's kind of like Lucio Fulci in a lot of ways. It's yeah. it's interesting what he's tra- what he's doing, but it's not necessarily well all that well executed then obviously I wouldn't need you to comment on that because you might be <laughs> employing you at some point in the future but that's just my my impression is that he's done some really cool stuff and he's come away with some cool ideas um, but a lot of the time it just kind of falls flat um, but that said I think to go from something like House of a Thousand Corpses where you've built up these characters that are really quite comical and then take them in completely the opposite direction towards this really fucked up, gritty, um, like uh, the Devil's Rejects. Yeah, it's quite a step given, kind of given what he did. I mean, it's, it's there's flaws, but I felt that Devil's Rejects, the characters were partially reinvented, and that was what annoyed me about Devil's Rejects. Yeah, they were. They, is... they definitely were. Yeah, I, I just felt like. Yeah, this is meant to be a sequel. Why is it not just them? Why can't they just be the same characters? Well, you know, we were talking, um, we were talking online uh, about. I was asking about Scotland before you yeah. came on, Oscar, and so he told me that Scotty from Star Trek was was the reason he was Scottish was because Glasgow was a big uh, shipbuilding center. 
But anyway, you just made me think about because I'm I'm an old Trekkie, and I love all of the films. Sure. About those sequels, and every single director would reinvent the character. Yeah. They do absolutely. the same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, like, you'd have things that had never been on the ship before, and people acting in ways they'd never acted before. Uh huh. And, and so I agree with you. Like, if it's a sequel and they reinvent the characters, and it, it kind of like it takes you, know, you away they, from what you already know, because you think the person wouldn't have changed. Uh huh. Right. But I, yeah. personally, like with the the Rob Zombie thing, it was almost like it was two separate types of films. One was like a kind of funhouse movie, and then the other was like a, a western type of thing. And both of them were kind of just using the same characters, but then adapting those characters to the different environment. Yeah, uh, I was really, I found that really interesting, and I really enjoyed enjoyed what they did with that but maybe that was just shitty writing though. <laughs> it's just just as likely that it was that to be honest maybe they'd written an entirely different film and went nobody's gonna watch this what if we just change the names yeah. make it the ones <laughs> from the other film that'll be fine did gil mention to you that uh scotty from star trek they actually uh put up a like whatever town it was he was supposed to be from they put up a plaque in his honor in that town so it was like somewhere random, like Glen Buck or something, yep. and they put up like a thing saying Scotty of the Starship Enterprise was born here uh, in the year, and it was in the, obviously in the, the future and stuff. So it's uh, just an interesting factoid for you. I'm sure you'll be. I think that's it. awesome. Google um, that. I, if you... <laughs> an interesting he's... weird thing. Sorry, uh, Bill, but uh, the the new Scotty. Is played You're not by... sorry at all. I am. I am sorry, but the new Scotty is played by Simon Pegg, yeah, who was yeah. in the sitcom Spaced, which I, sure. I don't know if you've ever watched that, but one of the comments that his uh, character in Spaced makes is the, you know, certain things are are always going to be true, like uh, day is light, dark is night, and every... Uh, every odd-numbered Star Trek film is shit. And now he's been in two consecutive Star Wars... Sorry, Star Trek films. So now one of them has to be shit based on his own character's opinion. And... You know what? He's right. I I was in a car that nearly ran him over. Okay, how did this occur? Uh... My my girlfriend and I were uh, driving through the city centre of Glasgow one day. And... Sober. <laughs> but Simon Pegg was not paying any attention. And he walked out onto the road. And she had to slam on the brakes. And as soon as she slammed on the brakes, he stopped and he turned around. And he was genuinely wearing the the beanie hat that he used to wear in space because it was just his hat. And the two of us just went, fucking hell, it's Simon Pegg. And he wow. just looked embarrassed and crossed the street. Wow. There's my headline for this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking so the, hell, it's Simon Pegg. The, the, the Scotty uh, story that I was saying about, uh, the plaque was in Linlithgow, and his widow unveiled it. She came over to the UK to... Uh, to unveil the plaque to Scotty. So that's awesome. James Scotty doing in, in Linlithgow. So there you go. I can get sentimental talking about Star Trek because yeah. that meant a lot. To, when I was a kid, that series meant a lot to me. 
Which one? The old, the old one, the new one, all yeah. this. The Wrath of Khan. My oh, God. Oh, that is a beautiful film. It's a great film. Do you know how uh, they they put out the the first ever screening of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek? No. They organized, uh, well, they, they advertised a screening of Wrath of Khan in, uh, I think it was Austin. So all these hardcore, like, Trek fans turn up waiting to watch the the best Star Trek film of them all and yeah. five minutes into it the film fucks up then Leonard Nimoy walks out in front and says oh that's broken I've got something else you could watch and the new Star Trek film started oh wow that is too great imagine being there though and watching that there has to have been so many people that were walking out going, I only came here to watch Can. So it's, it's possible an idea to have a wee break here. Um, yep. And we can come back and discuss the first of our three movies. Uh, Bill, would you like to choose which uh, which movie you would discuss? Yeah, it's, like it's up to you guys. But I got one more Star Trek story after the break, so go ahead. Oh, you can do it just now if you want. Oh, do it just, do it just now. Yeah, it's just quick. It, it, that Nimoy... The Egyptian theater here in Hollywood runs old classic films a lot. Uh-huh. And Nim- Nimoy was there, and they ran Ratha Khan. And they also had all of the art directors and special effects guys from Ratha Khan there. So the art director, he had just spoken before the film, and he watched the film. And then I'm taking a leak in the men's room, and there he is next to me. Oh, and man. so I, I'm, I'm pissing next to this guy, and I said, you know, they keep – I've heard so many times that Ricardo Montalban had a fake chest. And he said, fake chest my ass. The son of a bitch did push-ups every day. That was his chest. And now you do push-ups every day. Yeah. And I'm not even 60 years old yet. But that was Ricardo Montalban's <laughs> real chest at age 60. And I thought that was pretty wow. impressive. That, that, is a, that is a pretty awesome chest. Yeah. If I can have All right, a chest okay, like I'm that a... when I'm 60. If I could get a chest like that when I'm 37, <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> tell us about Stop your chest, Roscoe. <laughs> I am strong like animal. Um, we shall, ladies and gentlemen, have a short break, and then we'll be back uh, for more discussion with Mr. Oberst Jr. Cool. And we'll be back after this. Instead of dealing with the hassle of downloading, would you rather be able to listen to all the Horophilia Network of podcasts on the go? Well, now you can for free with the Stitcher app. The app is available for the iPhone, iPad, Android phone and tablets, webOS, and other devices. You can download it for free from Stitcher.com or from your app marketplace on your device. You can hear all of our podcasts, along with many other horror podcasts, all available for free. Stitcher.com, the smarter way to listen to podcasts. Okay, guys, so we're back and we're going to be discussing Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies with star Bubble Burst Jr. Um, so, Bill, how did you get involved in that project? I was a replacement Lincoln. Ah! <laughs> um, I don't know anything about the original Lincoln. I don't know what happened. I just know that they were already filming and they were. Uh, and I got a call at like 11 o'clock at night and I was the, one of the co-founders of the asylum. Sure. And he said, Bill... Um, you know, I need you to be on a plane in the morning and go to Savannah and play Abraham Lincoln for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. 
And I was like, you know, I'm too short to play Abraham Lincoln, and I really sucked in the last movie I did for you. And he was like, yeah, I know both of those things are true, but I still need <laughs> to do this. So I need you to do this. And what was so the I previous said, well, Wait, Is that Haunting in Salem that you're talking about? Don't mention that name around me. Ah! I, I I sucked I, in it. I was awful in that movie, man. Everybody else was good, and I was really bad. I just watched it, and I I really enjoyed it. I preferred it I, the second I, time, to be honest. I ruined the movie. No, I, I look like uh, one reviewer said I look like a mummy in a Justin Bieber wig. Were you wearing a wig? No, I was just I trying to. <laughs> I was trying Charmed. to look more attractive because they cast this young, beautiful girl as my wife, and I had this beautiful family, and I was like, "Fuck, nobody's gonna believe these came out of me." <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to look really like I was scared to move. I was like a mummy. Anyway, so uh, he called my manager. They made the deal, and I said, "I don't even have the script," and he said, "You can read the script on the plane." And so the next morning, I showed up in Savannah as a replacement Lincoln. That's mad. That, that is, because I... you do seem like such a such a perfect choice for it for the role, and you do seem to embody it. Um, I mean, have you ever have you ever played Abraham Lincoln before? Or? On stage, I had played Lincoln. Um, I used to tour to schools and do historical characters, and I quit playing Lincoln because I was too short, and the kids kept commenting on it, and and they were like, you know, isn't Lincoln supposed to be tall? I was like, Shut <laughs> up, kid. You know, I'm doing my thing here. You should have just so, said, yeah, oh, it was I, the I, hat. Well, yeah. Um, so I, I knew a lot about Lincoln and his background. And really, in all seriousness, when I got there, I thought, okay, I'm never going to get another chance to play Lincoln. I really like Lincoln, and I'm just going to pretend I'm in Steven Spielberg's movie. So that's what I yeah. did. Yeah. And then you you uh, you top it off by doing a bit of the Gettysburg Address as well. The director was really kind. Because he fought for that. It was in the script. And then they said, well, we don't really need that. And uh, Richard we got to do the Gettysburg. Oh, no, for fuck's sake. That is ridiculous. Yeah, because yeah, it, so. it is like the ultimate callback in the film as well. Because yeah, it's absolutely. almost hinted at at the start where he's talking about the the brave men who have died in that fort. Yeah, it's so, almost yeah, like the inspiration for the Gettysburg Address is... The stuff that happens in that fort. No, it's yeah, so I, I wanted to do. I knew a lot of kids would never they, overhear the Gettysburg Address. When I was in school, you had to learn it. It was mandatory. Sure. But it, it is no more. And so I figured a lot of kids are never going to be exposed to this or Abraham Lincoln, except sure. for watching this zombie movie. So yep. I wanted to try to do it right. Because you seem to. I mean, all the way through the film, it, it works as a really nice framing device because at the start, you've got the, the build-up to that and then all the way through the dialogue is feeding into that and then obviously you've got uh, Theodore... Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt with a big stack and things like that and various bits and pieces like that that were just thrown in. And I, I really love stuff like that and I, I really enjoyed that, um, that element of it. Stonewall Jackson as well. I... I... I did like mm. the fact that, although they're kind of taking liberties with the history there, because he would have been dead by that point. Yeah. But I thought it was really nice that he's in there, and I I thought it was a shame that they they changed John Wilkes Booth to Wilkinson, like like people would have gone, oh, you're John Wilkes Booth straight away. I thought it would have been the only thing that I would have changed about that film is make him John Wilkes Booth all the way through. So that then, 
maybe there would be a friendship that develops between them at the end so that then when the inevitable thing happens that you don't actually even see in the film, it's a friend doing a favor for a friend. You know what? That's really, really good. (laughs) Well, Lincoln, when he was a kid, he toyed with the idea of becoming an actor. He loved Shakespeare. And uh, that would be interesting because at that time, John Wilkes Booth wouldn't have been thought of as an enemy. He was a famous actor. It would be like making Mm. friends making President Obama making friends with Matt Damon. And then uh, years down the line, he has to phone up Matt Damon and say, I've got this horrible, horrible illness that that we can't let get out, so I'll be in this place tomorrow. Come and shoot me in the head. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's good. So uh, can you just go back and redo that film? We just redo just that part, yeah. Yeah, just that'll be the, in the director's cut. <laughs> you know, get back together and film the scenes where there's that actor bond. That As- Asylum does 24 movies. Uh, is how many they did this year? Really? So saw, wow. Yeah, and I saw a bunch of Asylum guys and the founder of the studio who called me to do the role, like for a movie called Hold Your Breath uh-huh. by Jared Corn. I went to the premiere, and uh, Lincoln had been out. I think about three months. And I said, hey, you know, I hear Lincoln's doing really good. He said, oh, please, that was so 16 movies ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Asylum... it's done really well, though, because it's, it's had quite a bit of acclaim, like mostly for your performance of Lincoln. And you, you won Scream King Award on a website. I can't remember which one it was. You, you'll maybe remember. And also... Uh, best one-liner for Emancipate This. That was my only ad-lib. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense, good. but I wanted to say it. It's, uh, yeah, it's very cool. It's a very cool one-liner. But I also had people who wrote me, they took the time to look at my email address and wrote me and told me that I wasn't fit to wipe Daniel Day-Lewis's ass. Ah, fuck off. And <laughs> I had not inquired about wiping his ass, so... Mm-hmm. The, e- the emails were a surprise. You see, I, I think that because he's won two Oscars, maybe he's actually able to do that himself. So, you know, people shouldn't expect that he would That's... be looking for anybody for that position. Maybe people can do it. Yeah. He could do it with the Oscars if he wanted to. <laughs> One in each hand. Maybe in my left foot, it would have... It would have... Oh. <laughs> requirements. Oh. Come on. But people yeah. will... People, people kind of forget that actors are people too. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, you, you take the stuff because it's your business. But when people write and they say, you know, um, you sh- I wish you would die. You're not fit yeah, to yeah. like Daniel Day-Lewis's ass. I'm like, dude, you took the trouble to find my email address to write that? Exactly. Exactly. And I can't write anything back because this is my business. All I can write back is, hey, great to hear from you. <laughs> you know, I, I think that you actually do turn people around sometimes because uh, I I looked on the IMDb message board, and when people have posted negative things, you've kind of no, they're not always negative. Some you you'll go and say, well, actually, that's a valid criticism, and uh, thanks a lot. I will bear that in mind in the future, and then sometimes that person does a kind of embarrassed, all right, yeah. Sorry, thank you. Oh, it's, it's really nice that you took the time to send me a message. Or for sure. Yeah, because you know what? Like, if you, if you, well, I guess the same as you're a musician. If you're putting your art out there, yeah, and then uh, people, 
criticize it. You can't say, oh, you didn't understand my art. They understood it. They just didn't fucking like it. Yeah. Yeah. Such a personal thing as well. Yeah. But people have the right. You're putting your stuff out there. So So some some criticisms that you get, you you can look at and take on board. And some of them you go, well, no, that doesn't fit with what I do. And you just just have to make a judgment call. But at least it is nice that you do reply to them. Always. But it is weird to see that that Lincoln performance. I had people who said, you know, it was one of the best Lincoln performances I've ever seen. And I also had people who said um, it was completely laughable. One guy said, um, I know this. I know they say this guy's an actor, but I've seen spider monkeys with more range. And it was about the same performance. Uh huh. Well, that's so not. you don't know what to what to think of it, you know. Some just like to be dicks yeah. on the internet, though. Yeah, yeah, I maybe think, so. I, yeah, I think the interesting thing about the um, the Evil Dead that we were talking about earlier um, was that there seemed to be a, a, a kind of cadre of people that almost wanted it to fail, and you can imagine yeah. that that you would you would sometimes see that in, in your line of work. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. People feel real. They feel real protective of movies. And if you're doing a movie that's, well, in this case, a knockoff, you know, a mockbuster of a movie, they get really mad at you just for doing it. And I'm like, you know, you're like, dude, I'm just an actor. I'm working. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't make the movie. And a lot of times people do that. They're like, your movie sucked. It was. And I'm like, dude, I didn't make the movie. I'm just an actor. I come in and I work a couple of days and I do my best and I move on. It's not my movie. Mm-hmm. I looked at the the Mockbusters list where it has like, the the writer and director, and I think that they were both kind of different from they they hadn't really they weren't involved in a lot of the others. Whereas if you look at a lot of them, like Transmorphers and the Terminators and stuff like that, it's the same director and the same writer and stuff like that. And maybe yeah. it's it's just these people. So how do, how work. does that work at the asylum? Is there is there a kind of in house directorial and writing group or there's a in-house uh, directorial and production crew but if you want to right. pitch a movie to asylum uh-huh. the great thing about asylum is like right now they're looking for a movie that fits the title plane versus volcano mm-hmm. that's a title they came up with yeah and they said we want a movie about plane versus volcano if you if you write a script you pitch it to them because i was going to say that 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 kind of the way that that works is almost quite similar to the way Val Luton um, would yeah. pitch an idea in terms of, well, this is a title, it's the cat people. Well, no, he, would, he would be given the titles. He and would then be given the to, title, yeah, and then have to write something. Yeah. That's, I just read a bio on Boris Karloff about working with Val Luton, and you're, at, you're right, they do say that. Yeah. yeah they, they would just give him, you know, make a movie called Cat People. We which I think is... We did a, a Val Luton... Well, we, we did a couple of Val Luton... Uh-huh. films a few weeks ago and right. that was one of the things like Boris Karloff said that Val Luton basically saved his career it stopped yeah. him just just being Frankenstein and I, yeah. I personally think that I Love the Dead apart from the fact it sounds like I Love the Dead uh-huh. <laughs> it, it is one of uh, Karloff's best performances I think it's really really good so, so that's my aspiration is to be I want to be Boris Karloff yeah so uh, who, are, who are your influences in that in that regard? Does it tend to be the classic, the classic yeah. actors? Lon Chaney, Boris Karloff, Robert England. Yeah. In more sure. modern terms, uh, Willem oh. Dafoe. Sure. 
um, in Antichrist in particular. I thought Antichrist was just an amazing movie. Sure. Yeah, uh, and, Antichrist is brilliant yeah. and disturbing. That's and what I like. It's the the thing that made me just go. This isn't like any film that I've ever seen before. Is the fact that within the first what ninety seconds you see full on sexual penetration that yeah. is the two of them, and you go, what? How is this? Oh right, this is how this is a plot device. And that that whole scene, you know, to put that in, most people would see as being completely crass. But what yeah. that does, it, it sets everything up for this film that is so just deep and like the the fox. <laughs> it's like, who writes this, and why no. are they not writing more? <laughs> That's what cinema can do, and that's what I love cinema as opposed to just movies. Uh huh. I love to do the just you know stuff that just entertains after a hard day's work. But movies can also be cinematic. It can also expand your mind and make you think of things you never thought of. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what would what would be your kind of ideal film that you'd want to work on? Like a David Lynch film. Really. I think you'd fit that really well. I, I I think so as well. I hadn't even thought of that, but that would be an awesome idea. Because yeah. I never understand them when I go see them. I never understand them, but also sure. I think about them for like a year after I see them. Uh-huh. And that makes sense. Like he had one, what was the last one? Um, oh, what the hell was it? Empire? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I've, the, I've seen that one yet. The Rob Robert Patterson one? Was that David Lynch? No, that or... was David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg, sorry, I of course. That was. No, but uh, yeah, he had these rabbits in there. They were doing the rabbits were on stage talking, and there was an unseen audience laughing. Oh god! Every... And it was always like, what? The, what does this mean? But yet I couldn't stop thinking about it. So yeah. yeah. I mean, the excision is quite similar to that in a lot of respects, and that it's quite, it's it's a very suburban setting, but it's almost dreamlike all the way through. Even the suburban settings feel like a dream um, yeah, it does it's, it's an interesting i mean I, I i just wonder how how often i mean do you watch the films that you've made or do you spend a great deal of time doing that or no you only watch the pieces that you're in and you only watch those with one eye open because <laughs> you're like you just need to see what it looks like so you can be prepared for the barrage of criticism yeah Okay. But you can't really watch it. You can't really watch a film that you're in because you can't disassociate yourself. You have to just go with what other people say. I like Cronenberg uh, stuff too because I'm really into body horror. I love the idea of the human body as a you know the body turning against you and sure. the body as a subject horror. And I like all that. Yeah, somebody I, I saw somebody on Facebook that was because uh, we were talking about earlier on about remakes and stuff, saying all oh, remakes are shit. It's like what about The Fly? The fly was a great, great yeah, remake. That's that's just a that's that's when you take a remake to an entirely different level. Yeah, and I love blue. both. I I love the original because I always it's, thought that was the bit at the end when you're going, like, oh my god, his wife is going to swat him. Yeah, it, yeah, that was good because Vincent Price and Jeff Goldblum were such different actors. But they, they're that, both oh, incredible as well. Oh, that's yeah. the the thing. I they're they're both two people that I I consistently enjoy. That's I wonder I wonder what it is. 
that makes an actor somebody that people like to watch. I don't know, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, you've kind of got that as well, because I've I've watched Assassins and uh, The Beast, uh, the what was was it uh, Catch, the kind of serialized. It, it part oh, a little, yeah, a little web series thing. Yeah, yeah we, we seemed to stop. I actually sent yeah, I sent a message to the the guy that that made that and asked him why it stopped, and he hasn't got back to me yet. <laughs> But I think that oh, was like 2010. Yeah, I was a killer in that too. I think. You yeah, you got out of prison, and I I thought the those uh, last three or four episodes, that was where it started to really pick up. I don't I don't know. I often think about that with the camera. You know, like what is it that Michael Caine said? The camera is your lover, and if uh-huh. you don't if you don't do the do to the camera and touch it the way it wants you to touch it. Uh-huh. To the exclusion of all other actors, if you don't do that little thing, it won't look at you anymore. Yeah, yeah, because I've, so, I've like, seen you mention that in a, a few different interviews. I think that's like your uh, your your mantra is that that uh, yeah, that book that he wrote. Which... Think about it; it's like a, a lover. So when you get on set, there's a lot of it's like having sex in front of a lot of people is what it feels like. Because there's the camera, and you're like, "Hello, baby." And there's all these other people standing around watching, but they don't exist because it's just you and the camera. Mm-hmm. You're just praying that the camera's going to like the way you touch it this time. Yeah. So, I mean, you you, you said before about Haunting in Salem, and uh-huh. that wasn't necessarily a project that you... I told you not to mention it. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Is sorry. It, uh, You even wrote a blog about it where you didn't name the film, and I just... I did like, I did like a full mea culpa. I did everything. I laid in the street. I screamed for forgiveness. Yeah, it was uh, where you said that you wouldn't try and do normal again. No. But I, I think that you should, because I, I think the that that can be just as sinister. You know, it's like uh, the Pinter play sleuth. Michael Caine is in the the seventies yeah. version as the as the young kind of cocksure person. And then they did a remake. I don't know if you've uh, seen the remake where it is Michael Caine as the older gentleman that was originally played by Laurence Olivier in the 70s one and Jude Law as the younger one. And it was also partially rewritten by Harold Pinter as well to put more of a a sexual relationship between the two. There's more of a sexual tension. And I I just, I thought that was, that's an example of somebody that's playing normal, but that normal is really sinister because he is just meant to be a an author, but he's an author who's deeply, deeply twisted. So don't be afraid of normal because... I could do that. I could do normal but twisted. Yeah, but the thing is, normal is twisted. That's what we're all afraid to recognise. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I've I've lots of this. <laughs> no, you think huh, you do. Interesting. But yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I guess that that's uh, I guess that's the thing versus zombies. I had fun doing it, and um, I guess that's the most normal that I played. And I was yeah. okay with that performance. I, I thought it came up all right. I thought it was a great performance, to be honest. I, I think the 
when I originally mentioned it on the podcast, uh, I think I said you you killed zombies with gravitas. Oh, thank you. That was because that's that's the way the character comes across. I really like the the kind of it's almost like a medieval shotgun. Oh, that's it, nice. Yeah. I broke uh, I broke three of those things. <laughs> I broke the first one the first day on the set, and already I'm like the new Lincoln. And the director's he's very athletic. The director Richard Chinkman. He said, "All right, here's what you do," and he takes it out and goes. Phew, phew and whips it. So I tried it, and I did it with too much force, and the end snaps off. It's just about to do that during a take. And then I broke another one on a zombie, which was during a take. <laughs> so they only, they they didn't let me touch it much until I actually needed it. it was, I, I thought it was a really smart weapon. <laughs> I did, too. And I love the fact that it was, just, it was in his pocket all the time, but you couldn't see it, and then he just whips it out. Mm. Well, I like the fact that it almost seemed like a callback to the start when the, the younger Lincoln kills his mother at the mm-hmm. very beginning and then snaps the scythe in two, mm-hmm. making the scythe the, the, with yeah. the blade the length of the weapon that the older Lincoln then uses. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it's, it's a film that's got a lot of really nice callbacks. I think it, it's a film that I've now watched four times. And I I really enjoy it, just every time. So thank you. Possibly worth uh, having a short break um, and coming back to discuss some more films with Pablo Bess Jr. After this, take a journey with the Phantom Eric as he explores the last one hundred years of horror. One hundred films to be explored, each one with the related themes, actors, and directors that made the last century of horror cinema so travel the world from Germany to Scandinavia, Italy to France, North America and everywhere in between, with no stone left unturned. The zombies are locked up, the vampires are asleep, and the prowlers have slain their last group of campers for the night. So take the hand of the Phantom American Lester Reaper, as this is one time travel experience you won't want to miss. Okay, and we're back. So, Bill, just, uh, just, is there any other projects that you want to talk? I mean, we watched Assassins and the Beast as well. I don't know if those are, if you'd be interested in speaking about those in more detail. Sure, I loved them both. Uh, Assassins is a short film. Yeah, they won awards and was turned into a feature. And in fact, tomorrow I'm going to do some uh, pickups, additional shots on the feature we wrapped last year. Oh, so you uh, you've been involved in the feature as well. Yeah, I played the same ah, character. Wow. Feature. And I got to do some kick-ass fighting in the feature because they decided that my guy was this old hitman who also was an expert in close-up fighting. Kind Great. of born, born legacy style fighting. Nice. Great. And uh, I ended up with a new scar on my face because the fight choreographer was training me and I missed a cue. Oh, and no. the guy's skull went right into my cheekbone and split it <sighs> open. So I have a new scar. Wow. But on my face, it's just like, eh, what's one more, you know? <laughs> so, I think Assassin is going to be a pretty kick-ass movie. I like my character in that. Great. Yeah, sort of world-weary hitman. And then The Beast is also now a feature film script. Yeah, because that was, that, that, if yeah. I remember correctly, did The Beast not get quite good critical? That was the one that I, that I kind of, I was sure that I'd heard of that at the time, maybe maybe about a year ago. Did that get quite good critical reviews? 
Yeah, it did. Very good reviews. It was yeah. a short film made for absolutely no money. Uh-huh. It was just, just us and One Night in the Woods. And the guy wanted to do a werewolf movie, but he didn't have the money to do a werewolf. And so he said, well, I'm just going to concentrate on the family relationships around the kid who's the werewolf. Uh-huh. And, uh, and did it. And it's, you know, it's like a 12-minute film. But it's an example that you don't have to have a whole lot of money to tell a good story. It's all about story to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you did a Scottish accent in that as well. I, I, I tried. I was hoping you guys wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> I... <laughs> but the person that played your brother did an Irish accent. He was doing an Irish accent, yeah. yes. I did notice that because that was the only bit where I went, what? Was when it was revealed <laughs> that he was the uncle? I was thinking, a Scottish guy and an Irish guy that are brothers? I didn't know. They could I be indestructible. <laughs> I showed up on set and I didn't know I had prepared Scottish, so yeah. But that did it did feel really legitimate in terms of, well, I mean, in terms of what's been put out by Universal recently in terms of the werewolf franchises, that uh, werewolf beast among us and different things like that. It felt a lot more legitimate than than these things. Well, werewolf is one of my favorite movies because of werewolf torn- beast among us. This tormented nature of the werewolf is what I really Ah, get right. I thought you meant that film. Oh, oh, no, no. Just the werewolf itself is one oh, of yeah. my favorite monsters. That is my, my all-time favorite monster. And I liked it when he said, you know, how many more have to die? And the father's real protective in that. And he yeah. says, there's only been two, you bastard. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It's only two. <laughs> but then... If you, had a, if you had a kid and the kid had done something really bad, would you protect them? I thought that was an interesting That's a question. Yeah, absolutely. But I was, I was also thinking, well, maybe, maybe just don't untie him. Maybe, maybe just, you know, it's your kid. Just pull the zip down. You know. Yeah. What happens is your own fault. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, I, you're, I didn't you're tie him. Really, I didn't tie him really securely either. Yeah. He, also, I was thinking, like, when they turn into a werewolf, they kind of change shapes, so, you know, that would have an effect on the ropes. So was, was you know that... what? A... You're right. <laughs> was that a director that you'd worked with before, Bill, or that never. directed The Beast? No? Uh, no, never, but we're going to. He just wrote me last month, and he said, I've got interest in a feature film version Great. of The Beast. Would you be interested? That's the way business usually happens here, is that you get more... You get more business through repeat business yep. than you do yep. through auditions. It's like people who know people. And sure. my manager always says, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Yep. Well, yep. I, I I, would really like to see you play a werewolf. I would love to play a werewolf, man. I would sure. really like that. They're, they are just the best monsters in the world. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to get up at night when my family was asleep and go outside and try to walk like a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Because I wanted to know what it felt like to, like, you know, walk like a werewolf, and I couldn't do it in the daytime. People would laugh at me. What, what, was the were, what was the film that got you interested in werewolves? The Wolfman original. Yeah, that, that's the one that did it for me. And uh, that's, that made a really interesting episode when we reviewed that one, because Ross hadn't watched it, and he's like, oh, Lon Chaney Jr. is not even his name. But I, I just think when I saw that film when I was a kid, the transformations in that, they are kind of, they're cheesy by today's standards and everything, but it was the whole duality thing that, that kind of got yeah. me, even though when I was a kid, 
I didn't know that's what got me. But it's just, it's like in American yeah. Werewolf in London at the end when there's the recognition in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Same with me. Same with me. There was a, yeah, because you feel like a monster when you're a kid anyway, especially, mm. you know, you're, uh, and close, but the close-ups on the werewolf's feet just fascinated me. Yep. And, and we had like, to sit there for hours while they did that so that they could just make it look just right. Hair yeah. by hair, yeah. Jack Peels. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I mean, my, my kind of horror icons, I suppose, are guys like Lugosi and Karloff and uh, Von Cheney Sr. and things like that. So I do I do still respect um, Von Cheney uh junior but those are the guys that really kind of interested me to be honest and i i I heard you in a previous interview speaking about how those those guys influence you as well particularly lon cheney senior yeah yeah because cheney said senior said and he was the first one to ever really do movie monsters and he said after he played the hunchback of notre dame he said it should Uh be my goal it should be my goal from now to the end of my career to show the world that monsters are really themselves to show the humanity that's Yep. That's it with yep. werewolves as well. That's the perfect description of a werewolf. Yeah. It's making me want to watch the Oliver Reed werewolf film now. Which was quite good. Yeah, I, I, I think hammer. It's, it's, really, yeah. it's really good because you don't see a lot of werewolf, but you, see a, the... but you see a lot of heart. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a silver-haired werewolf too, which is <laughs> so different. Yeah, it's... Yeah, oh, we could do like a whole episode just on werewolves. It's <laughs> just all go, werewolves are awesome. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Bill. I was gonna, I was gonna move, move us swiftly along to talk about um, Scary or Die. Yes. Would you be, would you be interested in talking about that? Yeah, absolutely. Scary or Die is a horror anthology film for people who haven't seen it. And uh, I was in a uh, the opening segment of that called The Crossing, and I play a racist misogynistic, xenophobic, uh, misanthrope who hates immigrants. Yeah. So there's nothing about my character that's likable. Absolutely (laughs) nothing. And he shoots immigrants for sport coming across the United States border, and uh, things don't turn out well for him. All you were missing was the, the Romney Ryan badge? Oh, he was there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was the most unlikable character I've ever played. In fact, I had people who I had people you know, who I write to me to and they said, "I hated politics. you in this movie because I hated yeah. you." Yeah. Ah, so that, you've done your job then. Yeah. You've done your job. Yeah, um, I, I I thought it was a I I thought that opening segment it was a shame that it wasn't longer because I thought there was a lot more to investigate in these characters. I thought it was it was a shame that that one was so short. And there was the, I think, was it maybe the second? No, the was it the second one that was the vampire girl with the Japanese businessman. I thought that was a bit overly long. Spoiler alert. I would have, um, I would have taken the time. Yeah, well, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Do you, do you know, do you know, I have to say I loved every single one of these stories. Uh, I enjoyed so much. I enjoyed your story. I uh, really loved the vampire story, <laughs> which, um, oh man, just like every single one. Uh, and another interesting thing about that one was it seemed to have uh, actors from uh, 
that they weren't Caucasian, which is always a, a a real treat in a horror film. To be quite yeah. honest, it's uh, there's it's there's a certain uniformity uh, yes. to to horror, and one of the kind of things that stood out for that film was that every story featured uh, featured actors that 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 weren't Caucasian. So it was uh, I was I, I I loved it, man, and I, I even the even the clown one. Um, which was really pushing the kind of uh, the envelope. So that was Corbin Blue from the High School Musical on that, and it was Corbin oh really? <laughs> yeah, and Corbin Blue's father. Uh-huh. He he was in the sequence called uh, Lover Came Back. He was sort yeah. of the through which which doctor who was in that. Uh huh. And uh, the, the the woman who played the 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 walking woman, like walking yep. mm-hmm. across the bridge. Her name's Shannon Bobo. She's a good friend too. I think she's a great actress. I thought she was great. I really enjoyed that whole segment. I really liked yeah. the one with the guy in I the car. I didn't expect that to be the tie, the tie up. To be honest, that was. Oh, you liked the one with the guy in the car? Yeah, I, it reminded me of the Telltale Heart. Mm. I thought it was it was like a, it was like a mobile version of the Telltale Heart. I'm going to tell the director of that one's name, Bob Battaway. He's a good friend, and I'm going to tell him that. Yeah, because um, it was really it was it was quite posh. <laughs> The guy in in mine, the Mexican, the older fella that I, I that we shot, that I killed and threatened. Yep. He's a buddy of mine named Maxi Santillan, and he was in Nude Nuns with Big Guns with me. I thought ah. I recognized him. Yeah. I was thinking, he what played, the hell was he in? He, yeah, he played like the the doctor who was doping up the girl, the nun, and uh, so it was so funny to see him again. It, that's the way it is. Like it's such a small community. I, I saw Asun, the lead actress from Nude Nuns with Big Guns in the grocery store, like just two weeks ago. Wow. And it's really, you you rape and try to kill somebody, and then you see them in the grocery store. <laughs> They're like, oh, Bill, how are you? It can all be sorted out in the vegetable aisle. So, um, <laughs> I've never put better. <laughs> so, Bill, um, you, obviously, you're, you're dealing with really, really dark themes here and the, and your, the work that you're doing. Um, I know maybe this is going to be a really contrite question, but obviously you uh, you practice Christian faith. Um, yeah. Just wondered if you wanted to, to say a few words about that. or I would say that I, I believe that there is evil in the world. Uh-huh. I believe it's real uh-huh. and it's not a joke. And I think that there's warfare going on between good and evil all the time that we can't see. It's, it's, you know, it's my worldview and my faith tells me that too. And sure. so for that reason, because I'm an ugly guy and you know, I have this weird screen presence or whatever it is, uh-huh. I'm often called upon to play evil. So I want to by God play it right. I want to go uh-huh. to that dark place and I want to make it so real that, it makes the hair on people's back of their head stand up because for me personally, the worst place to be in is to think everything's a joke and there is no such thing as good or evil. Yeah. Um, so I want people uh, subconsciously, I want them to say, damn, there must really be evil. (laughs) (laughs) And so I embody that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I do believe in God and I, 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 I have often had these conversations like, you know, why am I, why do I seem to have been given this gift or opportunity of playing all these really dark roles? And that's the only answer that I can come up with is, you know, I, I represent, I represent evil. I represent darkness. I represent people who have made the wrong 
choices. I represent the dark night of the soul that all humanity feels. And sure. that's Bob. So I want to do it right and not make it a joke. Would you say that you draw in kind of dark experiences yeah. and dark feelings within yourself? or Absolutely. Yeah. Pretend that I'm this happy-go-lucky, lighthearted guy, and, you know, nobody really is. Yeah, no, of course. Everybody has their demons. Yep, sure. But I just keep mine all boxed up until it's time. Mm-hmm. You know that scene It's seen in New Duns with Big Guns with yeah. um, Asun? Yeah. Like I'm beating the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. I got no idea where that comes from. But yeah. afterwards, I mean, we did it, and there were some more violent takes than that. And, um, Fuck. And immediately, like right afterwards, I'm like, are you okay? Is it, are you all right? Did I throw you around too hard? Did I throw you too hard? Mm-hmm. But when it's time to do it, it's like something takes over you. Sure. Which is kind of frightening in a way, so it's good that it's only done on film. Yeah, it's yeah like, absolutely. It's, it's a very... It's, it's probably one of the most bearable scenes from that film, to be honest, because it really... When you start off in that film, you've got this character that you go, well, yeah, all things have obviously taken a bit of a bad turn. Then you turn up and you go, fucking hell, that's not a bad turn. That's a fucking awful turn. <laughs> and then that that actually makes the, the rest of the film and the whole redemption story and revenge and everything, it makes you root for her even more. So it's, it's strange that you have that really, really brutal scene <laughs> that, that works so, so well like... and, and could have maybe in the hands of a a less aggressive manner maybe not have worked at all. Well, I wasn't going to do that scene if we couldn't go all out and sure. like really throw each other around. Like I say, they cut more of it because it was you know too disturbing and too violent. But, um, yeah, and she was the same way. She said, you know, she said, we have to go for this and we have to make it look right. Because to me, it was a serious scene. I know it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek movie. But <laughs> I was playing a priest who was fucked up, which I think is in itself fucked up, to be a yep. priest and then to be fucked up. So I yep. said, okay, I want to play the most fucked up priest ever. If I'm going to play one that's fucked up, I don't want it. Again, I don't want it to be a joke. I want the brutality to come out of nowhere and to be like, whoa! yeah. Mm-hmm. I got a friend who's a social worker, and she told me last week she was talking about how on her wall for her licenses and things, she doesn't have her real address. She has a P.O. box on all of them. Uh-huh. She said, Bill, you never know where crazy lives. Yep, yep, absolutely. Oh, and so I like that, that that's thought. That's a T-shirt that right there. Crazy lives in me. It lives in you, Gil. It yep. lives in Raj. Sure. At any moment, any one of us can turn brutal out of nowhere sure we like to pretend it's only other people but it's not you know yeah oh man that's that's a soundbite right there Mm. that's (laughs) so i will keep playing my little stable of uh fucked up brutal characters Mm. and um, and i'll try to do it accurately and honestly hopefully till i die doing it well hopefully not till you die doing it Hopefully. Did I doing it? I'd like to be like an 85 year old and just drop dead doing it. It would be good. <laughs> Bill O'Bears Jr. died at 104 years old, punching yeah, a like, nun on stage. That's exactly right. Like I'm punching some nun and and he just drops dead. Yeah, you'd like have that. seen 
you would have seen my tweet during the, the week there, Bill, um, that Nude Nuns and Big Guns actually played on TV, on, on standard TV the other day there uh, in the UK at like 10 o'clock at night, which was quite quite bizarre. It's just like... Really? That thing yeah. is I can't believe it. <laughs> so it was, uh, I think it was Wednesday night or something like that. Yeah, um, I saw it too late. The, the Horror Channel were playing it, and that's basically like a kind of, just like any satellite channel. Um, but still pretty cool that it's on terrestrial TV. But that's like... Uh... Yeah, because, I mean, like, the female nudity in Nude Nuns with Big Nuts is not just no. like everything. It's, it's everything that's the whole shebang. Yeah. It's, it's, what, it's what we call on this podcast the Rosario Dawson. <laughs> I, Nude Nuns is the only one I've done, like, with complete, with that level of full-on everything out there nudity for the girls. Yeah. Usually it's just, usually it's topless or an ass shot, you know. Uh-huh. So, I mean, is, is, are there any plans to develop Nude Nuns into anything more? Because obviously at the end of the film we get it kind of hints at a sequel or hints at... Because your character isn't really... Uh, the, your your flashcard doesn't come up to right to the end. Am I right? Or... Yeah, I think... Yeah, it, yeah your, your flashcard's right at the very end. I was like, supposed to die. I was supposed to die at the end. You remember at the end there was a... The nun comes in and she shoots and there's uh-huh. a... Um, one of the rooms there's a dominatrix yeah uh-huh. who's, who's whipping this guy so that was supposed to be me and my character I was, it was supposed to be me dying but they couldn't get the makeup together and stuff like that uh-huh. um, so they ended up not having me die and then they had to do something at the end and so that's why they put the little ending on there to set up a sequel I don't know if they uh-huh. have any plans to actually do it I think it would be fun to like go on this chase and hunt down the nun. Yeah, because that would that would actually be quite unexpected because you wouldn't you wouldn't think that character is going to come back and go after that nun. We already talked. Uh, the director and I talked about it. Like I said, well, how would you shoot it? And he said we would go back and we we'd shoot back in the bedroom again. where like, and we'd show your character dragging himself off. <laughs> it's like he's beat up pretty bad to be dragging himself off, Joe. Yeah. He said, yeah, we have to suspend disbelief a little bit. Yeah. I think you could carry that off. I would try, man. <laughs> so, so finally, I think it's important that we, we don't we don't neglect to mention the princess and the pony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, on the Bodacious Horror Podcast. Yeah, we, we've both watched it. Well, I, I, was, I was horrified by it. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I actually, I actually uh, sent a, a tweet to Bill whilst I was watching, yeah. saying if this makes me cry by the end. <laughs> and it's a kids, it's a kids movie, and it's about a magical pony. But <laughs> it's not that magical. It's just a pony that used to be able to jump high. Well, well, they say yeah. jump high, but I've seen ponies that size that jump higher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the pony showed up on set. Uh-huh. And it wouldn't jump. <laughs> so it's and a method so the, actor. So the director said to the trainer of the pony, like, we've got this pony for the day. I don't understand what's happening. And the trainer said, quote, sometimes he jumps and sometimes he doesn't. And today he ain't jumping. Oh, man. But that's why the pony ended up stepping over Dixie cups and things like that. So it, Because it wasn't magical. And it, it didn't jump. <laughs> But that's that's so an asylum film, actually. 
Yeah, it was Asylum's only kids movie. Why have why did my character hate the pony so much when he couldn't do anything? Uh, I actually what I read into that was that your character had done something to the pony that made it not want to jump. <laughs> I like that. Like I actually no in all seriousness, I thought that maybe the pony had partially messed up a jump and you'd shouted at the pony so much that it went. Well, I'm not going to try that again in case I fuck it up. <laughs> That's pretty smart. My father called me. He watched it on Netflix. Uh-huh. And he said, he said, what the hell is this? <laughs> I said, I said, daddy, it's a movie. Is that his, is that his exact words? <laughs> yeah. He said, what the hell is this? I said, it's a movie, daddy. Uh-huh. He said, well, why is your mustache? He said, why, he said, why is your mustache not half hanging off? <laughs> I said, I said, well, makeup isn't always there on set. And sometimes you just stick it on and film it best you can. And he said, I could see the glue sometime. I said, well, Daddy, you know, what do you want from me? But I, I thought that was, I actually honestly thought that was kind of intentional because it was meant to be like a kind of dick dastardly character. Yeah, like maybe he has a fake mustache. I was expecting at the end, <laughs> the, when there's the, the, the prison scene, that one of the other characters was going to turn around to Thaddeus. No, Th- yeah. was it Thaddeus? And rip my mustache off? Yeah, I thought he was going to just, like, rip it off. That's funny. You, you Okay, that's, like, the fifth idea you come <laughs> up with. That's, can that would have made just, a like, film pass better. This podcast writing... on to Asylum? Why are you not writing movies? I have written a movie. <laughs> What's it called? It's called Burns Tower. Really? Yeah, uh, it will probably never be made because one of what? the major plot points is that two dogs get set on fire. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's gritty. <laughs> Are they mean dogs? Well, no, it's it's a it's a twisted psychopath who. Uh, oh, they're nice dogs. That's hard. They're 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 uh, somebody else's dogs. They're a different character's dogs. Who uh, this person uh, kidnaps and uh, then takes them to the top floor of a multi-story and puts the dogs in a lift and pours petrol all over the dog all over the dogs so that they're terrified but what the dogs don't know is that he's left a line of lit zippos at the bottom so that when the when they finally get to the bottom and the door opens, the dogs run out, and they set themselves on fire. Mm. And do you know? Do you know when girls tell by an old lady who says, "I thought it was kids playing with fireworks until I heard the screaming." If there were poodles, you could get away with it. If there were do you know it's at times like this that I often wonder if any of this will be admissible in a court of law. <laughs> oh yeah, it's. I'll I'll send you the PDF if you want, Bill. I would really I would like to read it in all seriousness because you've had several ideas that are stunning in their simplicity and the way they would fix up a movie. I even know all the all the the places that it would be filmed. <laughs> wow, I'd like to read it. What? And I'm leaving I'm I'm leaving you guys with that ass kissing comment because I got yeah. a premiere I got to go to. So. Oh, what's the premiere? Yeah, it's a premiere tonight of a friend's movie. And the worst thing in Hollywood is if a friend says, hey, I'm in a movie, could you come? And you don't come? <laughs> yeah. Because they ain't coming to yours. Yep. 
So what, nobody what actually fi- comes to our premieres, but our it's only our friends that come to our premieres. Do you want to plug the film, or do you want to so see like, what it is? My, uh, it's called the Cohasset Snuff Film. Oh, okay. Um, what's that about? It's about a it's about a snuff film made in Cohasset, Massachusetts. Uh, it's about a, a killer who makes a who who film makes films of his victims dying, and supposedly this is the real footage. And, by director okay, named Ted cool. Payson. And, uh, kind of yeah, found really footage type, type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, great. Interesting. Okay, Ask him if well, he's got an online screener. <laughs> Bill, uh, uh, we should probably let you go at that. Um, unless you, you're willing to tell us quickly what films you're working on just now. or. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, speaking of online screeners, um, I can send you, and I will, a link to an online screener for Coyote. Right, a little- okay. Uh-huh. It's a little art house horror film that I did. Wow. Micro budget, man. Micro uh-huh. budget. Sure. But it's art house and it's very bizarre because in art house things don't have to make sense, you know? Exactly, absolutely. And, and so, just finished uh, the fetish set as well recently. Oh yeah, the fetish set. I think that's actually gonna be really good. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a I'm an asthmatic, club footed, pigeon chested killer, and I'm after these fetish models. Sounds beautiful. That, that sounds awesome. Does two of the the girls from that follow me on Twitter? Oh yeah. Thanks to you. <laughs> it was really nice. I I just had coffee with one of them, and she had a nude scene, and she said uh, that she was kind of mad because they scheduled it for after lunch, and so she couldn't eat anything. Because uh, girls are really, they're really, they call it a food belly, and they're really, really funny about that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I like the food belly. <laughs> Do you? I, I don't know. I've never really paid that much attention, to be honest. See, they I would just think, tell them that. So you can tell I like the food you're belly. Looking at belly. They think you're looking at their belly when you're not ever looking at their belly. <laughs> look, to them, that's... South. Yeah. You're either looking south or north. That's what they're thinking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you, you've also got Children of Sorrow coming up. Children of Sorrow, I think, would be my big theatrical release that will come out this fall and I have really high hopes for that movie and as soon yeah. as there's a script for that I'm going to send it to you guys I mean basically uh, uh, everything uh, everything you'd said about that was just really exciting so I mean it's, it's based around the religious cult is that right? Yeah I play a cult leader in the desert and uh, kind of like based on uh, Jim Jones and the Guyana Massacre and that kind of thing Sure, wow. the director he wanted to do something different and uh-huh. he said I don't want to use any gore you know I don't want to have the horror depending on the blood. So we created a character that would make people's skin crawl without, you know, without the gore. Nice. Like, could you treat us to a little bit of, uh, a little bit of that character? Roscoe, you're part of the family now. <laughs> oh. And all I've asked is that you trust me. Other people, the other people that you used to know, the other people that you thought loved you, the other people that you thought you loved, their shadows. Let them go. Let them go. Be a part of the family. Accept me. Because I accept you. Like that. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> that's <laughs> almost word for word what Ross said to me to get me on the podcast. That is terrifying. <laughs> you're part of the family. If you're out yeah. of the desert and you're a needy kid and you hear that over and over yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I think that what we should do is we should, we should let Bill go to his premiere, Fancy Dan. And uh, 
and we should we should uh, we should schedule another conversation for later on in the year if Bill's up for it. I don't know. It's... Yeah, I would really like this. This is one of the best uh, podcasts I've done because um, you didn't really. I mean, you did ask questions, but it was more like just talking, and I always think that's more interesting. Yeah, there were so many things because I I watched. I, I you'll know that you've done a a YouTube interview series that's up on a, a channel that I can't remember the name of. I've actually watched all of those this week, and there's loads of things that I could have asked you questions about, but I thought, well, nah, you'll be you'll be bored shitless if I go, oh, tell us how you got involved with the guy that does health yourself. Well, people would too, because I don't think people really care. All they care about is if you sound like you're an interesting human being. Yeah. Yeah. You either are or you aren't, so. Mm. And all, and all we can know that I'm yourself. not. So. <laughs> So, so at this at this juncture, I should probably apologise for trying to ram it back into the traditional format. Oh, <laughs> don't worry. So, Bill, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, joining us on the show, uh, it's been absolutely excellent having you on, man. Um, and as as Gail said, hope hope to have you on again at some point in the future. I've had a great time, and um, I really like Bodacious Podcast because you guys aren't bullshit. I mean, you're the real deal. Cheers, so man. Thank you for doing that. Thank you very much, man. Thanks and we'll man. we'll catch up with you again soon. Keep in touch, Bill. Um, right, man. And catch you later. Okay, cheers. Bye. Thanks so much, man. Take care. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know. I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. Like, I'm good, baby. Okay, I'm gonna fight. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the shin list of desserts it's it's a, a pure good i love the idea of up and coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre i really really like that idea and that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned is making a film that's just average well that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion whether it's you know to rip it apart or, or praise it then you should spend time with david and me and Bo as we discuss horror films from old classics deep red empire of the ants lisa and the devil the baby the toxic avenger the new favorites absentia cabin in the woods the loved ones shadow of death vhs the woman check us out on itunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com devour the podcast is a proud member of the horrorphilia podcasting network uh, okay guys so that was bubble burst jr what do you think of that girl I thought that was that was great. Bill was just totally down to earth. He was like one of the family, as he said to you. Yeah, so um, That's fantastic. That's ringtone now, isn't it? If you can get a chance, uh, guys, have a look at Bubble Burst's work. Uh, there's there's a great deal of stuff available on Netflix. Um, on the American so, Netflix, actually, the, yeah. the UK Netflix only has one. I think that might be Abraham Lincoln. Sure. Sure, so there's plenty of material in there. Um, and as I say, he's a guy that we definitely think you should be looking out for. Um, and somebody that's going to hopefully be a rising star, as he was saying. I don't know if it was on air, but he was saying that he, he's been signed to uh, the same agent as Danny Trejo. And, uh, I can cut Sid that Haig. in. 
Yeah, possibly, <laughs> possibly. So, um, yes, he's a guy guy to watch uh, as far as we're concerned. The Beast and Assassins are both uh-huh. on YouTube as well, I should point out. So they're, they're short films. They're yeah. only around 10, 10 minutes each. Yeah. And there's another one as well, which I forgot to mention while we were talking to him, called Forfeit of Grace. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that's. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that. Cause I didn't I see that one, is, no. You, really you, did, you did send me that one, but I didn't get a chance to see that one. Yep, I think that's on Vimeo. But sure. if you look up Forfeit four of Grace full movie, it's only uh-huh. 12, 13 minutes. It's it's worth checking out as well. It's it's really... It's, it's quite heart-wrenching. <laughs> sure. Okay, Um. so... Do you want to we'll, we'll just wrap up the show then? Um, guys, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Um, have you got anything more to say, Gal? Uh, I don't know. I was, I was uh, just you haven't said what else you've watched. I want to know how much Seinfeld <laughs> has been in your life this week. Yeah, I've not I think... seen you. It's weird, like being over the internet. I feel lonely. Uh-huh. I think that I think the boys and girls could can live without hearing about the adventures of George Costanza. Although I did write an exceptionally good uh, Seinfeld two thousand tweet at work uh, this week, which was about the the best thing that I uh, I did at my work. I wrote a Perry based joke. Did you? Yeah. It was, what was that? Well, it was. Uh, I actually made a, a whole picture for it as well. It was a picture of Katy Perry looking sad that I turned mm-hmm. into like a, a sympathy card. That's, oh yeah, that's saw it. that. Like Babe, that. you got fired at work. <laughs> yeah, so that was groovy. That was yeah. that was fun. Also, I gave myself a pedicure last night. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I had a uh, some strange kind of device that has like sandpaper on it and rubbed all the hard skin off my feet. And oh. and now I I feel like a new man. <laughs> Listening to Gavin Roscoe's but this is our podcast. So there we go. Um, so yeah. Have you had any treatments this week? <laughs> well, just my my weekly colonic. Uh, um, yeah, but you do that yourself. Yeah, I do. I do. I get a great deal of pleasure out of that. Uh, I ran into Bedacious. I say I ran into him. Uh, he came to my gig tonight. Uh, Bedacious listener. Uh, Alastair McMillan. Oh, so, cool. That was very interesting. He to was see one him. of our competition winners. Yes, he was. He was. So it was it was nice to run into him. Um so yeah. Uh you know, overall okay week. <laughs> and sad, sadly I, I feel really bad that you were playing with the zips tonight. That's right. You had to run away. I did. I did. Yeah. I'm really sorry. We we scheduled this interview, and, and then you had to go and be a fancy damn punk rock star. That's that. That's that. Any school? Oh, it's it's always worth it to to spend time with you, girl. Oh, I mean that. I mean that. I miss you. Why are you not on the couch? <laughs> I know. I know the casting couch. Well, well, um, tell people about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you were chosen. Yeah, three callbacks. Fuck I know, yeah. I know, I know, absolutely. Um, okay, so we'll wrap up so that every, everybody can get to their beds. Um, so guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have enjoyed the show, please leave us a positive review on iTunes. It helps us a hell of a lot. 
Um, and just in terms of getting noticed by other people, it helps us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Bodacious Horror and at, at Gil Kutansky. Yes. Um, and we're also on Facebook. So At facebook.com forward slash Bodacious Horror. Yeah. Um, so, oh, have we died? What's that? No, I just uh, accidentally knocked my headset off my head. There we go. Have you been drinking? Uh, I had a couple of McEwen's champions. For shame. Uh, For shame, sir. Actually, they're only 7.5%. Okay, that's that's quite a lot. Not out of 100. If you got that no. in a test... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as alcohol goes, McEwen's champion is a complete failure. Report them to <laughs> trading standards. Okay, guys. So, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> and Sorry. We will bid you all a fond uh, adieu for one more week. Next week, we will be recording another special episode with... Yeah, again, um, Skype. Yeah, another Skype-based interview, this time with the author of uh, Vampire Over London, the uh, about Bela Lugosi's time in the UK. Um, in 1951 in particular touring with the Dracula uh, stage play so uh, that's going to be Frank De- that's Frank Delastretto and he's going to be talking about his new book um, which is about evolution uh, the the theory of evolution and horror um, so that's that should be quite an interesting episode yep and we have some chapters to read so yeah be, we do we do indeed that'll be that'll be nice well, I'm still in the middle of reading his, uh, his first book, so that's good fun. And I don't have a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping to get that finished, but yeah, what are you going to do? Oh, that's what you. That's what happens. You walk to work, you don't get the bus. Get the yeah. bus, take a book. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Um, so I hope you all have a lovely week and hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, and as I say, we'll be back next week. So share us with your friends and leave positive feedback if you can. And share us with your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> so we love you and thank you very much indeed for listening. Yep. Cheers. Good evening. <laughs> Glasgow out. Greetings, <laughs> my friend. It's time to call